Hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue radio show number 22. This interview is with my longtime friend, Eber Metcalf, partner at Rainmaker Capital, a boutique investment bank specialized in enabling technologies at the crossroads of telecom and digital media. Eber, or Edwin as he's most often known, is an expert in all things mobile and has a great take on what is going on here in Europe and across the pond in North America. We discuss a host of different topics around mobile, including the platforms, m-commerce, the future of augmented reality, and what came out of the recent Mobile World Congress. Enjoy the show. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Minter Dialogue radio show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, and I'm author of the blog, themindset.com. That's... T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. So let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Minter Dialogue Radio Show. Today, I'm on Skype, and I have a very, very different kind of person on the other end of the line. He is a friend first. I've known him for a long time, too long, probably 25 years now, right? Maybe more than that, Eber. Uh, Eber or Edwin, for those who know him professionally, Edwin Metcalf is a partner at Rainmaker. And Rainmaker is a basically, um, a, I would call it, a, it's a boutique investment bank, right, Eber? And- yes, Mentor. That's exactly <laughs> how we bill ourselves, though we're a bit unique in the space. Um, we're three partners based out of California. Um, I'm currently holding down duties in, in Europe, but our clientele is completely international. Uh, what we do is we, we help our clients uh, with their corporate development strategies and often do advisory for merger and acquisition work. What took you to Europe? I mean, or you're, you're based in Madrid, so why, why, why Madrid? Well, I have to admit it's Madrid for the family and lifestyle and Europe for the business. I often find myself on the plane to uh, London, Paris, uh, Vienna, other places, um, uh, Amsterdam as well. Uh, our firm has long had history of uh, European clients, and, and, and our practice is really truly international, as the mobile segment is, which is which is our focus. So, mm-hmm. back ten years ago or so, um, and, and we have been at it for for uh, more than 15 years now, focused on mobile for um, about 10. But in that period, uh, all will remember that Europe was quite significantly ahead of the United States and other markets in terms of uh, mobile penetration um, and value-added services businesses that had been developing on top of the carrier's basic voice um, service. So, We've performed a function at that time where we're helping small companies based in Europe that proven their model and validated their business to get into the U.S., the the big market, uh, the media market, um, a chance perhaps for uh, number one, growth, number two, a valuation, whether for fundraising or for exit that might be favorable to what was possible in Europe at the time. So the U.S. has caught up in many ways. and in many ways, uh, taking some leadership role in the mobile space. Uh, but we, we continue to see uh, well-managed, uh, very interesting companies in Europe that are looking to 
raise their visibility in the international mobile space. Talk about what's uh, where, where the Europeans are still leading. What, what are the areas you see that where the European companies are, are taking the lead? Um, you know, good question because we always start uh, at this time and place. We really are, 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 are struck by the power of the so-called over-the-top players, um, companies coming – uh, from the internet side or other spaces, the, the, the usual suspects are, you know, Facebook, Apple, Google, and they're really driving many of the, the dynamics um, in the mobile space. What you have in Europe um, are the traditional big operator groups, whether it's Telefonica, um, Vodafone, Orange, uh, et cetera, that are major uh, players represent a major part of this ecosystem, really the network. Um, so Europe continues to be stronger there. The dynamic has been where the European market has gotten uh, very mature. Um, these operators have branched out globally. Uh, they and the industry um, are, are strong because there's other uh, geographies where we're seeing uh, you know, fantastic growth. Um, that has helped them raise their business, but they continue to face uh, this challenge of uh, the whippersnappers from California uh, <laughs> who piggyback on their network uh, and jump right into the end user's wallet. For the layman, Eber, um, w- w- let's talk about uh, coverage because, I mean, that's a sort of, you know, the everyday hassle, you know, 4G is coming on stream. How do you compare the coverage, uh, mobile coverage in Europe as opposed to the United States? Yeah, please do check my jar, my jargon anytime uh, <laughs> get a chance, man, or I appreciate it. Um, my uh, experience is, is well, no, it's, it's not only, only urban, it's, it's also rural in the U.S. Um, uh, it, very simply, the coverage is much better in Europe. It's uh, not only is it, is it better in rural areas, now you've got a very different sort of population spread than in the U.S. Um, and, and in the U.S. you obviously have some very rural areas where um, the only solution is, you know, some sort of 2G wireless. There's no Ethernet. There's no, to talk about full coverage of, of access to the Internet, if you will, um, you know, there's, there's, there's satellite or there's 2G, right? In Europe, um, there's much better coverage, uh, you know, anecdotally. Um, when I go back to home in, in, in San Francisco and I stay at my, my brother-in-law's right in the middle of Pacific Heights, um, San Francisco, I cannot get a AT&T signal, so... Incredible, shocking lapses in the coverage. And, and I mean, this along with Wi-Fi in general. I mean, it's going to be hampering, or at least going to be critical, if the the mobile world of, of uh, m-commerce, uh, surfing, and so on, is to penetrate as all the numbers or the predictions are, are out there. A- absolutely, and, and, and in a way, you really circle back to. Uh, the comment I made before on the on the operator's challenge from the over-the-top guys. The operator um, uh, is making enormous investments in getting to 3G, um, which Europe is pretty thorough in, in, in U.S. certainly in metropolitan areas, and then getting to 4G. And let's just say 4G is where you can really stream video and um, get that rich experience over 
uh, you know, truly wireless broadband. Um, to make that investment, uh, any any investor wants a return on that over a certain amount of time. And what we're seeing is that the the operators' margins are shrinking. Uh, they're in a very competitive environment, um, and they're uh, they're unable to. You know, simple examples of that are you see the the, the, the bundling of services of, of voice um, of data plans and what's happened through all that is the operator hasn't been able to extract enough margin to justify that investment. So you look at over time, usage goes up, data usage goes up, um, but the return, uh, the ability to charge for that goes down the margin. It doesn't go up as fast. The margin in the end is constricted. Yeah, so when we look at the, the operators in, well, the ones that I, I know well over in Europe, but it's, it's similar in the States, on the one hand, they're being, they're, they got below them the people running the handsets, and on top of that, you've got the ones that are, are providing all the apps, the glitz, the social media, and they're squeezed between a rock and a hard place. Is that your experience? Yes, that, that, that's very true. And for them, the fear and the danger is they migrate to something akin to a utility mm-hmm. where they're just providing uh, a, a network service and other people are really making the money on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's fascinating. You look at Apple and, and, and the iPhone um, and there's, you know, there's many interesting <laughs> dynamics of what's happened around Apple and what they've done to the industry. But, if, if you look at it, it's very interesting. They launched with AT&T in, in 2007, and the service was terrible. And the fascinating thing was the end user never really blamed Apple for that. Uh, the, you know, the mud was sort of on AT&T's um, uh, face. They definitely added subscribers. You know, the, the, the revenue model changed, which is it was a fundamental uh uh, dynamic uh, that's happened in the industry, um, but Apple really got the benefit. Uh, there's AT and T really providing sort of a mundane utility service and bearing the brunt of the uh, of the, the responsibility for drop calls and, and, and bad connections. Mm, definitely between a rock and a hard place. So Edwin or Eber, um, you were at the you actually were uh, at a, a, holding a panel at the Mobile World Congress. Tell us about uh, what you thought of the, some of the highlights from the Congress. Uh, yeah, the, the Mobile World Congress is really the industry's uh, biggest, most important event of the year. Um, began uh, as the uh, GSM uh, conference, still run by the GSMA, the Association of uh, GSM uh, Industry, and brings together operators, uh, vendors, and players from all over the world, you know, from Africa, from Asia, from Latin America, from the U.S., um, really our chance in the industry to get our fingers on the pulse, uh, connect with uh, people and network that we have that we haven't in a long time, and, and from my perspective, the ideal place to set up meetings with decision makers um, and get a chance to sit down and talk with them. This year was absolutely fabulous um, from my perspective, really strong feel in the industry, record crowd there, uh, 67,000 participants, but a optimism um, and a feeling of opportunity that um, is is much stronger than it's been in years. So 
um, an exciting time this year. Well, I, a friend of mine, uh, Mitch Joel, on a podcast he held the other day with someone who's in mobile said, well, is this the year of mobile? <laughs> is this the year that it breaks out? And, it, and it's always, you know, great to try to uh, place your bets on things like that. I think uh, where we're getting to more and more, and I think this is the reason for the optimism and the investment, um, <clears throat> whether from capital investors like VCs or um, private equity funds or from companies in the space, is that there's clear visibility on very significant verticals that are going to evolve over the next decade. You know, you might think of, of mobile commerce and M money as just being one. What's the role of the, the enterprise mobilizing, including mobile functionality throughout its organization? These are things that are relatively clear. And, I, and by that, I mean, um, we don't know the details. Um, and M commerce is a fascinating one to talk about how that's evolving along lines that we predict and, and in different ways than we might have dreamed. But these um, paths, if you will, have unbelievable ramifications on uh, the, the way people live and do business and, and, and uh, commerce is handled. And it's pretty clear that the mobile does move to a central space. I mean, the mobile device, and, and, and some of us have been you know, drinking this Kool-Aid for years, is ubiquitous. It does um, uh, offer that chance for a one-on-one -on -one relationship with the user, and it's truly interactive, right? It's a two-way channel, um, uh, you know, a, a, a very dynamically different thing than watching the television um, over the past uh, half century. So those things are, are real drivers um, and, and significant drivers that are seen uh, the mobile move to the center of the computing, uh, you know, marketing, commerce um, world. Is it this year? Is it next year? Um, some of us are betting, you know, our, our, working, our waking hours that that's what's happening. Um, and whether it's this year or sometime over the next decade, I don't know when we wake up and say it's happened, but uh, it's certainly going on. Well, that's for sure. It, for those of us in the Kool-Aid, we think it's been, it's been around for quite a while. So out of the MWC at the Mobile World Congress, was there any uh, key uh, projects, companies that you really saw taking it another level? Well, um, a couple, you know, I've, they're floating amongst 67,000 uh, people. Obviously, I, I, I come with my data points. Um, and, you know, a couple things that I saw going on, one that I think is a big industry dynamic, um, and number two, let me, let me talk about some interesting technology that really touches on the uh, mobile marketing space. Um, first of all, I think uh, the challenge for the operators that we mentioned before against the uh, so-called over-the-top players um, against Google and Facebook and, and Apple and those guys um, is being responded to. I think the operators notorious for their network technology focus and their slow evolution um, are getting backed up to the wall and they're realizing it. Certainly they're big vendors um, and, and, and by those, it's really infrastructure players, whether it's, whether it's uh, Ericsson, Nokia Siemens, HP, Huawei, Alcatel Lucent, all those guys um, are well aware of this. So that whole ecosystem 
is working hard to find ways that the mobile operator can become more customer-centric, meaning uh, more knowledgeable, more engaged with the customer and their experience, because that's yeah, I mean, essentially where Apple is, has won. So ca- and capturing the data that's so available, right? Yeah, and I was going to mention that too, and, and making use of their assets, right, which is the network, the billing system, et cetera, et cetera. But I would agree with you, um, paramount in that is taking advantage of data, uh, network and behavior data that they have on users that enable them to create a very personalized experience. I just want, sorry to interrupt, but just to come back on that, one of the things that strikes me is that using this data, I mean, because it's, it's uh, I would say, prime concern, such as being in the social media space, is privacy. And so these folks, they know where you are. They they have all this. They they have your bank account because they're obviously you're being you're paying them every month. How how do you see that playing out? Is there is there a concern for that? Did you see anything at the MWC about that that says well there's some interesting avenues and developments to improve that security concern? Yeah, I think there's. Um, it is a conversation that. Um, is had and sort of lurks on the fringes um, um, as well. The operator has been able to hold a relative, if you, if you poll people, they trust their operator relatively uh, more than other players in the space, right? So we're all, Google sort of becoming um, uh, big brother. Um, Facebook is dances around their security things and, 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 and that whole debate goes on. The operators maintained, um, perhaps even to a fault, uh, their position of um, uh, constricting what they do, limiting what they do with data, right? But there are strategies and plans and businesses coming out where there's sort of three third party in the cloud lockers of your personal data that can be accessed by operators and other players that are um, anonymous and and give you control. One of the things I'm seeing is um, a a movement towards uh, the operator giving you the choices, right? How can you hand the control? Another thing, I mean, in our, in our modern internet world, we have unlimited choice and we have control, right? And so everything uh, is has to engage us, and we're always, a, you know, a click away from moving on to something else. So a fundamental driver that's happened here is the end user has control, and you can see it in in, in testing with with new products and things. If the end user feels that they don't have control, they're gone mm-hmm. right? very quickly. It's the op- so, you need to opt in. That's right. How can you how can you give the tools to the end user so that they can say, you know what, I'm not comfortable sharing my location um, unless I confirm it with a certain advertiser or company, right? But definitely share my location with my family, right? Very simple example, mm-hmm. but a place where the operator would sit right in the middle and be able to create that value, right? Because that's value. For to know where my family is and to control my things. And, and that's what it's all about for the operator. And, and I, again, I think they're starting to respond and find ways to create additional value for the end user. Value means engagement. Um, engagement means an opportunity to um, you know, create 
more wallet share, if you will. Yeah, and, and then that links back to where the brands can fit in because, I mean, I'm not going to mention them or cite them, but uh, my uh, operator here gave my mobile number out for a list to be called. And while in the States, I, I knew that there was a lot of easier ways to go on the red list and get make sure my, name, my number wasn't doc- docked off. There's, I was really quite upset that they had just volunteered my number without asking me, and then that's a, that's an immediate no-no. And and so how how the operators are going to help? Well, they they have this data, and then how can they help brands to fill in, fit in, so that when you're walking by the beautiful department store, or a Zara or whatever, there's a nice little message that pops out that says, "Hey, Eva, wh- why why don't you step in here and get something for your daughter or your wife or whatever." Yeah, an, an interesting example because um, another thing I'm going to talk about was the augmented reality space, um, which I think uh, has some great potential in the marketing space. But I think we'll come back to this idea of user control and you know what are people comfortable with? Is it somebody calling you out of the blue? Is it a text message out of the blue? Or is it something that you can access um, and, and have a lot more control of. And I think that's a, a fundamental dynamic we'll see playing out. But I love your example of, of, of walking by and, and, uh, and getting more information on things. I um, saw a lot of augmented reality things at Mobile World Congress and see this space really coming into its own. So for those who don't know, uh, to put it in layman terms, augmented reality is the... Um, the, the overlay of data from the internet on um, on some reality or, 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 or uh, image of reality, right? So where it happens in mobile is on the, the, the camera view. So the, the camera is seen as one of the, the main interfaces uh, for the mobile device. And Essentially, what you're doing is, is using the camera as a reference point to hold up and say, what information can you give me on, that, on things that are around me? Augmented reality kind of breaks into to, to, to two sort of distinct pieces. One is a location-based um, aspect, and the other is uh, image recognition. And so I like to think of it as, uh, you know, these two go together well. How can I find out information about what's around me? Um, you know, classic example, I'm looking for, you know, a place to have a coffee. And I can see that a street away where I can't see there's a coffee place. And, uh, you know, all sorts of business models can fit on top of that. Might be a coupon or something that is offered. And then when I get closer, I might use the image recognition piece and look at a, uh, a sign, a logo, or something that then uh, allows for all sorts of rich experiences. Like you say, you know, something popping out at you, Starbucks, you know, launching some uh, uh, interactive uh, campaign from there. So, you know, interesting, very small companies in this space. Um, for you, who are the leaders? You know, here's, here's, here's a great place where Europe is really um, leading. Um, the leading companies that I see um, are Erasm, Erasma, which is a spin-out from Autonomy, uh, Wikitude, an Austrian company, and uh, Layer, who's a well-funded, uh, well-venture-funded uh, company in the space. And what, what you're seeing here is the opportunity for uh, two things. One is the interface, 
Um, and one is the rich uh, engagement potential uh, that brands uh, you know, desire so much. So in essence, the image recognition, what that eventually replaces is uh, your need to enter something into a browser, right? So to type a search term. Or the what we've seen is um, an interim step, which is the QR code right, or barcode, something that identifies, connects you to more information, a way to drill down and get more information. Image recognition, as the database of images grows, um, will be able to just give you information on anything. You know, not anything is, is, is a big statement, but uh, whatever you pointed at. If, if it's tied into the right databases, that will be your interface. So there's nothing more to do than point your camera uh, at a storefront, at a rental apartment, um, at a restaurant, and get reviews and information, potential uh, coupons and things like that. So, um, again, here you got the interactive device that's out with you anywhere on location, and AR forms this interface piece uh, in between that allows you to to very easily dig deeper and access information for which, you know, the internet really is, brings the value. Well, I mean, it's, it's sort of straight, what's stopping an operator from buying a layer or one of these augmented, why don't they get into that? Um, there's, a, there's, there's a couple things there. One, you know, what's in the mind of operators and how they, um, uh, make their decisions is one thing, um, and what they see is, is, is their core business. Um, another is things like this, um, and this is a very non-operator mindset, things like this need to be cross-carrier. Any marketing campaign, um, any um, promotional aspect, the, the, the advertiser, uh, the media company, the brand, does not want to hit half the market or a third of the market or 10% of the market, right? There's no real value until they have a cross-carrier opportunity. So in other words, something that will work on any customer's device, right? So these things tend to, you know, the, the great example of success cross-carrier that involve the carriers is SMS. Mm-hmm. And you, you can clearly see until you have that cross-carrier aspect uh, you don't have the potential for the dramatic success of things like that. So um, AR as an interface is ideal when it doesn't matter what phone you're on. Well, because you, you, have, you have two things. I mean, I, you have the, the operating system uh, and you have the carrier. And, I'm, you know, because my mind sends me to uh, Apple and, or Flash, which doesn't work on Apple. And, and, and there's so many things that don't, aren't standardized that, uh, of course, there would be one more layer of non-standardization if you've only got one operator that uses this augmented reality, presumably across all the platforms. But Th- That's right. And so, you know, there you have a, you know, fundal, fundamental challenge that slows down the growth of, um, you know, some very straightforward and obvious business models that are taking time to come to fruition, right? So how can you, so, so typically what you do is you, you know, port, port, port to different platforms and, and operating systems. You know, we're in the middle and I'd say we're really kind of 
um, uh, flush with the buzz of the of the role of apps uh, in in the mobile space and the growth of smartphones and 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 what's going on there. But but you're right. If if you have an augmented reality app that works on Apple or Android, you're hit, you're hitting a certain percentage of the market. Um, and you're not now. You so you build two apps, right? So you do Apple and Android, and that gives you, I don't know. I think the UK and the US are some, you know, thirty to forty percent smartphones, and so that would include RIM as well. Um, and you're, you're still hitting part of the market. And for any marketer, there's some limitations there, right? That's not ideal. So you look for um, uh, technologies and distribution channels that can uh, go across carrier and, you know, the mobile internet uh, uh, becomes the one, becomes one uh, that becomes very attractive. HTML5 is coming along to enrich that. And the industry debates about, oh, is it apps or is it the mobile web that in the end went out? And, of course, in any of these debates, it's, it's simplistic. Um, they both... Uh, will be part of the future. But certainly now the mobile internet gives you a chance to fill in that. So so what can, you know, in terms of AR, do you have something that can work on a whole set of browsers um, as well? So it, it, it's it's been a lot of work for companies to fulfill their, their, their business vision by porting over, creating to different platforms and creating different apps uh, to get that kind of coverage. All right, so I have two last questions here. The uh, first one is um, for a marketer. I'm trying to figure out whether I should do uh, Android or or Rim or or Apple. How, are, what, what do you see as uh, interesting cross-platform opportunities to make it a little bit simpler for me? Other than just, of course, doing a, a web um, browser. Yeah, um, there's. You know, the answer is you've you've got to. Um, be realistic about it and thoughtful about the way um, you you attack the market and who your your, your target audience is. Um, for example, and, and I sort of you know this suggests I contradict myself a little bit, but if you look at um, smartphone market share, um, you know Android is 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 going way ahead um, of Apple, um, and. A lot of that's because it's a free operating system that um, uh, handset manufacturers and mobile operators will put on multiple phones. That'll be uh, almost a default choice when someone goes into the into the retail. So they're they're prolific. Doesn't mean those people are even using apps, using the smartphone functionality. But the, but the market share is growing. Conversely, Apple, and particularly with their iPad. Um, garners the advertising dollars, right? You got the right customer for many of those advertisers that we're seeing high-end media um, uh, being some first movers into this space um, and the iPad taking a, an, an Apple taking a monster share um, of, of, of that advertising budget. Uh, you know, Google on the other end doing it on the web and, and working to, to move that model across um, you know, successfully to mobile, which I would say is probably underway. So it depends who your audience is, right? Mm. And and the mobile web definitely becomes um, a, a tool in your toolbox as you try to fill out um, who you're targeting. What, what just uh, you know, help me understand this. 
With Apple, they have a kind of a unilateral worldwide rollout of all their systems so that for a developer or a brand, when they want to upgrade, they kind of can do it with one button. It feels like that. Whereas for Android, I'm going to guess that they probably have different levels of development across different um, uh, mobile, uh, mobile, you know, the Nokias of the world. Or not the Nokia, of course, but um, the different mobile handsets are going to have different ages of development. So for a brand that wants to then upgrade their app, how does that work for Android? I mean, do you see what I'm trying to say? There, There would be... One's more unilateral, one's more dispersed, and does that make it more complicated, or is that just a, a moot point? Yeah, no. I mean, Apple has been very successful by keeping uh, their environment uh, closed and tight, and and very efficient in terms of uh, those sorts of things. So, yes, they've been successful, but I'd say still, even the the challenge of, of updating apps a pure app on, on uh, iOS uh, has expenses and limitations. Anyway, what we're seeing, and I think the future is, is, is something you might call a hybrid app. So it is a shell of an app, um, a limited amount of code and, and, and a uh, wrapper, if you will, that looks like an app. It moves through an app store. You can download it from an app store. The, the operator could have it preloaded onto the phone. But the guts of it, the, the functionality, um, in addition to uh, the data, is coming from the mobile internet. Mm. So there's no need to update, right? It's yeah, constantly um, able to refresh itself. It can cache for times when there's no connection. But it becomes a much more efficient um, type of uh, uh, management from you know, a platform that's one to many so you can manage that solution. It updates. You can change rapidly uh, campaigns and, and offerings to suit the, you know, the, the customer response. Um, and, and that proliferates out to uh, multiple platforms um, and, and, and multiple apps as well as the mobile Internet. Mm. So, so I'm seeing companies, um, Momac and Holland is one that has a cloud-based platform that can manage um, uh, one to many multiple hybrid apps um, and mobile internet sites, which gives you that coverage over you know thousands and thousands of different devices. All right, so I'm probably going at this the wrong way because we should have had this at the beginning. But the, my last question, Eve, what is mobile? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's so fascinating. I mean, the industry and and all of us business people need some labels to uh, organize our world and, 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 and be able to talk about things. But we, we definitely see these things blurring. Uh, I was challenging somebody the other day on just what, what do you mean by TV? What is TV? We got in, in the United States, I just saw recently 8% um, of TV watchers watch over the old rabbit ears, right? A, a, a unilateral broadcast um, uh, via wireless. So th- these terms are, are, are changing um, and we're going to see them change more quickly. I think simply mobile is um, something that you can walk around with, right? Something that's easy to carry and the customer and their normal behavior carries around with them uh, that uh, is uh, connected to an operator that's connected to the, to the Internet. 
And so I'd throw right now in our world, uh, I'd throw tablets into the mobile category along with, uh, you know, what, another set of terms, smartphones and, uh, you know, feature phones and, and the rest of the traditional uh, uh, mobile telephony world. Because, well, where I go with that, I mean, so the tablet, for the most part, as I understand, it doesn't have a telephone connection. Or you can, uh, yes, that's usually true. So you have, you have Skype. Um, that of course uh, allows you to connect uh, if you have Wi-Fi, right, or, or maybe even three G. Yeah, then, that's correct. And then you've got um, the camera itself being a sort of other zone within the mobile space. You know, you, you I can imagine, um, you know. Well, the, the functionality of, of a mobile is also where this goes because you, you, you've got – it's a telephone, it's a web surf, it's an entertainment space, it's an ability to uh, do social it, – it's sort of – it's a moving space. And, and the, but the, for brands, the issue is that each of them has different kinds of uses, usages. And so you need to find a way as a brand marketer to adapt your interface, your engagement, according to the space. Because the way you're going to use a, a smartphone is going to be different from the way you're going to use an iPad, even if both are mobile. No, I think you're absolutely right. And in, in planning, whether you're creating media or you're creating a marketing campaign, you've really got to think about it that way. What I think is the key thing uh, about the mobile device, and let's just talk about phones now, because uh, while the, the tablet is mobile, it seems that if you look at user behavior, it's mobile around the house, right? It usually, um, I mean, you see a lot of people reading books and, and, you know, on tablets and things uh, on, on the metro, perhaps, but people generally get to the couch. It's a great couch device. Um, mobile is limited in terms of the space you have on the screen um, and highly interactive. And a device that lends itself to interactivity uh, is always on hand. Um, people can uh, do lots of functionality with it. They're not looking to ingest a lot of content. Usually um, they're looking to do things, right? It starts with a, with a, with a voice call. Uh, a very interactive thing where you talk with another person, right? And so we really look to that device. I think that, you know, in, in, in another sort of scenario, the mobile phone becomes a remote for any kind of display or, or, or traditional television screen. It is, our, it is the interactive device. So I think in marketing, um, the, the, the advertiser and marketer should look to the, the mobile device as a way to really leverage its interactivity, which is good news because there's good data coming out of that. There's information. There's way to you know really focus on converting customers, uh, converting interests. You know, getting uh, people to move beyond the step of just looking at advertising. Well, Eber, uh, Mr. Edwin Metcalf, lovely to have you on the show. Great Always to catch up with you. And uh, look forward to uh, following up with you, hopefully coming to visit you in Madrid or you up in Paris next time. Uh, meanwhile, I'll put all your details into the show notes and uh, stay mobile, Mr. Metcalf. Always a pleasure, Mentor. All right. Take care, my man. Adios. Adios. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue radio show. 
You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter. If you like the show, please don't forget to click the handy Facebook like button or tweet it out. And if you speak French, you can find my other French language interviews on minterdial.fr. In the meantime, please come join the conversation at The Mindset or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year hard rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian jiu-jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.